Patreon exclusive. Patreon exclusive. Jeffrey Dahmer, soaked in blood. The Unabomber blowing up. Waco, Texas, and Heaven's Gates. Aliens modified, men from apes. Hitler faked his death and then escaped. Bigfoot and the Mothman. Son of Sam talking to the dogs again. Witches, ghosts, and goblins. Mysterious noise and hauntings. Dark arts and the skull and bones. Most celebrities are probably clones. So if you're feeling all alone, crack a beer and get stoned. I welcome you to the podcast Strange Brew. We're here to entertain you. We're here to entertain you. What's going on, everybody out there? Welcome. Welcome to this fun little bonus episode that we're doing. Um, eventually, this will be on the Patreon. So this is kind of an example of some of the different things that you can get when you subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, I'm Tomcat, a.k.a. Tom Thompson, um, obviously the host of Stranger Podcast. Got a little scotch, just in case, for this, for this fun thing. And um, who do I have with me? Oh, you're asking me. You're asking me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's get right into it. <laughs> uh, I'm Nathan Castellanos. Uh, I'm a local over here in, in uh, Southern California, Los Angeles. And uh, I do a, a series on gentrification, but I, I it's a book series that I've been doing for about six years. But unlike all these academics with their, their treatises on statistics and these people with their half-ass... I want to copy Bukowski for the millionth time fucking storyline. I throw in a bunch of occult elements. Uh, I got reptilians. I got sex magic. I got Kabbalah. It's all in there. Literally stuff that we talk about on the show, because we'll eventually probably dive back into Crowley and stuff like that. And then conspiracies or truth, who knows, around like sex magic and the stuff that even exists within hip hop and stuff like that. So... We kind of, you show, you shouted me out. We started talking a little bit and you were telling me about your book and I found it pretty interesting that you kind of had reptilians in there and, and you were kind of like, you know, I don't necessarily believe in that stuff to an extent, but I joked around and said like, I think a lot of that stuff could be possible. Um, I've been, my co-host will attest to this, that I've been joking around and talking about the reptilians invading our reality for a long time, like over 12 years ago, I really started getting into David Icke when I was a teenager and started questioning everything. So hearing what you're involved in your book, I was like, all right, yeah, I get this. It intrigues me. Um, and it's cool because like with some sci-fi stuff, right. And, and even books in general that are even fiction, you can add elements of the truth in these books. Like look at George Orwell's 1984. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I mean, and I could talk about so much. I could talk about Carl (laughs) Jung misdirecting with his Gnostic experiences. I could talk about the, um, my main influences are pretty much in order. Philip K. Dick to Grant Morrison to Robert Anton Wilson. And that I started out my whole life as a cynic, a skeptic. I never believed in anything spiritual. I uh, developed a spinal problem in my 20s, which led to me studying Zen. And then uh, <laughs> most, uh, the chaos magicians, they say there's three ways to extreme ego drop. Either do a lot of psychedelic drugs, which I do, <laughs> a monk, 
and yeah. and do your meditation, your your talus alchemy, whatever, or lose your mind. And I've done all three. Um, uh, it was a divorce that was a catalyst for me going full on right brain, left brain activity over and over again because when you put faith in somebody and you think that you know everything about them and then you find out one day that uh, after picking up their phone and seeing a video of them sucking some other guy's dick in their fucking emails and then you fucking lose your, your mind for like Jesus, fucking six yeah. months. <laughs> Yeah, that will uh, that will do it. That's for sure. Especially yeah. when you spend your time trusting someone. I couldn't even imagine that happening. I would probably want to murder somebody. Um, and and certain things I, in life, right? I do believe. I believe I'm a believer, and everything happens for a reason. So my co-hosts don't hold that same belief, but I think that things are kind of orchestrated from the outside and that everything is somewhat predetermined here and your higher self or who's above this uh, may know the outcome. So it's pretty interesting to hear that like certain circumstances in life shift people in a different way. It could be for negative, but usually it's more positive stuff uh, that comes about. I like what you said there about your higher self already knows what's going to happen because I have a theory that, um, the quantum now, the the eternal everything, uh, whatever you want to call it, that your unconscious is does not work on linear time, basically. Mm-hmm. Your unconscious yeah. already knows what's going on this way, that way. And most of the time, we only get access to that as far as things relatively have happened in the past, through dreams, through having memories. But I believe, and I think most mystics believe, that you can kind of cherry pick something that's going to happen in the future in the future. Yeah. 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 Cause it's like, I feel like it's, it's, there's people that believe that it's fully predetermined. Right. Mm-hmm. And everything's kind of set up the way it is, but I feel like there's different paths that could be taken, but your higher self might already know the roads that could be pursued kind of thing. And then like, cause I, I believe in the astral world and, and the guides and all that type of stuff. So, um, Yo, what's up? Uh, one of my, uh, that's cool. One of my, uh, co-hosts, um, is in the chat right now and, uh, that's fucking dope. They, he's, uh, how the fuck did I not know this was happening? That's sick. So he, uh, <laughs> you shouted me out. We wanted to kind of do this and, and kind of get your work out there. Um, so that's pretty awesome. I should have, I didn't think about uh, like being like Anton, you want to come on? Cause he probably would have jumped on to talk about this because, um, Oh, what, what book do you owe? What is he? He's saying he owns a book because I can see in the chat. Um, oh, that's yeah. pretty awesome. He's a big fan of like Anton Wilson or uh, Anton Wilson, right? I'm, I'm not too versed on him, um, but um, he's uh, advocating all this stuff that you're speaking upon. So hmm. pretty cool. Nathan's. Oh, you have it. He has your book. Oh, really? Oh, damn. That's fucking awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> like, I did not know that Anton had your book. It's He's probably, HP probably this one, right? Probably that one. Is that the one, Anton? He's HP Shovecraft. He said you'll know who I am. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I That's know. fucking awesome. What? That's so fucking. Oh, man. Weird full circle. We maybe we'll have you back on and um, we'll do it. We'll have Anton um, kind of talk and we'll have uh, another conversation because um, this one might be like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. So maybe we'll bring you back on. Uh, with Anton and we can have some like a fun conversation about some shit if you're down. So give me kind of a a synopsis of your book and all that stuff. I'll let you kind of have the floor and discuss where you got your ideas from and and some of that shit. 
All right. Um, well, basically, uh, I started writing this after I got priced out of my hometown of Highland Park, California, which a uh, little preamble on that area. It was like kind of an area for working class people, sketchy a little bit here and there. You didn't want to walk down certain streets after midnight. But around 2003, 2005, all these gentry, all these hipsters started coming in. And I hadn't heard the word gentrification yet. All I know is there's a bunch of rich assholes coming in my neighborhood and they're creating burger joints where you pay $30 for a hamburger and get champagne served with it. And I felt like I was in the fucking twilight zone. So I spent about a decade <laughs> talking shit to these people in bars, getting kicked out, getting in fights in my 20s. That's and funny. Ar around my early 30s, I, I got priced out of the area, and I found myself living in Compton. Um, oh, no I, way. Yeah. It was the only place I could afford to live. And and the, I was going to pre-law. I was working three jobs. I never had any money, and I was just grinding my teeth so full of anger about where I was in life and how it inadvertently happened because mm -hmm. the cost of living was going up everywhere. So I'm like, I got to do something positive with this. I was poor as fuck. It was my 30, I forgot, 30 something birthday. And I'm like, I can't even go out, do nothing. My birthday present to myself is I'm going to write a short story and I'm yeah. going to publish it before my birthday on, at midnight. So I, I did that. I got my first book done. With a, this, this is an old theater there in Highland Park, which uh, the first one, it kind of looks like an old, like Nor type cover. And basically starts out with a club scene like uh what i think about the what i call the cultural appropriator the 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 cultural entry is like these these whole these hipster gentry kids who will buy a club and call it a goth club but it's not really one <laughs> and it, it's kind of like a, it's kind of thematic and it's just a way for them to kind of plug their little fingers into a culture they don't understand because they know it's marketable. And the whole thing, the first, this whole book reads like, like a Burroughs or a Bukowski book, like one big shit talking rant with little, like kind of like grains of, of mysticism kind of hints there and here, like the main character, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of like me. His name is Miguel Leon and he's, uh, he like me, he's half Mexican, half white part Jewish like he's got all he's got a mixed background yeah and he finds out that his girlfriend's cheating on him but he also finds out that her face is not a real face it's like a it's like a synthetic skin mask and he's got this kind of hint of what she is because he sees these little scales underneath the, the mask Wild, which is which I'm not saying the scale part but that is true there is a hundred percent the the mask technology that they have today can make someone look drastically different um, obviously there's conspiracy. I'm sure we'll come up on stranger podcast eventually where we dive more into that, um, on an actual episode because there's supposedly proof that Joe Biden is wearing one and it's not actually him because you can see like lines in the neck and there was, um, I'm going to post it probably on the Instagram. So shout that out stranger podcast, uh, stranger, podcast is that there's videos of like there, this chick on a talk show and the guy's like pulling on her skin and stuff like that. Um, because they know it's fake and it looks extremely real where the, a normal person walking down the street past someone that had one of these masks on wouldn't be able to tell the difference. 
Because you, the fact you can get like Freddy Krueger masks that are like latex and the stick to your skin and look fairly real, there's actual human face masks that look very real. It's wild. Oh, well, I've seen them at the horror. Not far event. off from the truth. <laughs> uh, my my girlfriend, she does horror events because she makes like goth and death rock jewelry, and I see people. That's I've cool. seen people wearing masks that look like totally conformed, even to the eyelids where they'll open with. Yeah, the yeah. But, it's crazy, uh, dude. I, I use the whole reptilian theme because it was it was a way for me to emphasize like, hey, I don't like these people and they feel monstrous. I don't, uh, they don't feel human to me. But that I mean, they're they're kind of they're kind of like the the henchmen in the whole story. The real the real evil are these things that I kind of based off the archons in Gnostic and Gnostic Christianity and loosely yeah, yeah. off. Uh, the the archons in Grant Morrison's Invisibles, I call them barons, which are these undead um, proto humans that they don't they look human, but only when they feed on human culture because they can't generate any culture of their own. So they kind of like this psychic os- osmosis. So like for instance, they'll be like uh, an LA local walking by, whistling their 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 grandmother's favorite song, and then. They could they could draw the energy off that, or someone will be talking about their their their, their uh, abuelos or their tios their tios recipe for carne asada or pozole or or whatever. Oh, no, 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 that is <laughs> some uh, Mexican food, I'm guessing. Uh, sorry, <laughs> pozole is, is a, it's a soup that you make for with with uh, pork neck bones and 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 the pork feet, and it's it's kind of like menudo. Pork feet, feet. Yeah. Yeah, you because the fat on the feet it it makes a really rich fatty broth. I could actually see that. I used to be a cook, so it makes sense. Same, um, same here. What what you said it, it reminds me like it is like to me if the reptilians do exist in, in some real form, um, not just something that David Icke made up um, or any of these other people like Alex Collier. Uh, it's kind of wild because that's part of the thing is they uh, they can't like they can't actually create something because mm-hmm. of our energy and our spiritual development, our consciousness, you could say we can do So if I draw on a piece of paper, for example, the reptilians can't draw shit. They can't draw something from the top of their head. Uh, but if I draw something, they can manipulate that drawing, which makes a lot of sense. If they somewhat do exist here is that they can take a society or a place or a world and manipulate it to gain fear off of it. So that's why when you start telling me about some of the details of your book, I was like, weird. It's almost like it's fiction in quotations where some of the stuff within your book could be very real. I mean, it's all an analogy for what I dealt with. Like, they say it best, and the activist friends I have say it best. They say that these gentry, these hipsters, these rich people, these these people from generational wealth, whatever you want to call them, that come into LA, they want the local culture, but they don't want the locals. Mm-hmm. They want they'll like um, a perfect example. They'll come into my my old neighborhood. They'll see the taqueros, the, like the guys the, the, that are cooking tacos in the street, and they'll call the police on them get them freaking kicked out of town. But then like six months later, this person that gets these, these locals kicked out of town because they don't have their right licenses. They'll open up some whitewashed taco spot where it's like $7 for one taco. So basically they kick the people out, but they take the culture 
and they'll and they'll refabricate it in this overpriced bullshit whitewashed way. Well, they did that to Harlem. Uh, a shout out to Moral Technique, uh, an extremely intelligent rapper. Um, he has a song called the Harlem Renaissance. And it talks about the gentrification of Harlem and how like, you know, white people used to come in there, the clubs back in like the 60s and 70s and before that to kind of hang out with the black dudes and the jazz players and smoke some weed and all that shit. And then slowly it is, they start eroding in and bringing in rich white cats and essentially kicking everyone out. Um, you know, it's making stuff unaffordable. And mm-hmm. this happens all over the place. Um so it, I think it is a very good premise for a book to really discuss those ideas. Yeah, and I draw on ideas like that. There's a there was a a writer. His name was Mike Davis, and he talks about how the money really works in LA. Mm-hmm. There's a book called City of Quartz, and he actually mentioned that how the original jazz clubs here, all these rich white people would go and go and go, and then after a while, they're like, wait a minute. There's drugs going on there. At the same time, while they're enjoying the drugs, they're having a good time, and they shut down these clubs. Mm. They shut down the real culture, and then they take they take it, and they brought it out to Redondo, and they open their like little whitewashed jazz clubs that are the clean version of the culture they just stole <laughs> yeah. after they destroyed the, 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 the legit deal. It's it's. I mean, that is kind of the main premise of my story, that, that these demons that they, that they, <laughs> they take – culture from the legit working class and they they just obliterate it and then they turn it into like the shadow play of its former glory for themselves it, it is very reminiscent of what actually happens around the world that especially within places like la um to be honest it makes it makes a lot of sense because uh, this stuff happens all the time Right. Even like even hip hop. I'm an advocate. Like I fucking I rap myself. I've been doing music for a long time. Um, Not that it's necessarily got me anywhere, probably because the shit that I talk about. But it's the fact that like, you know, I always say like, you know, who started this stuff, you know, is the, the important piece and to keep the culture within mostly the black community. And they brought in even someone like I've not I've, there's many exceptionally better rappers, I think, than Eminem, but how they accepted him in the culture and stuff like that, even though it was a prominently black thing. And then, you know, you know, you, you see that in, in, in the world and in the culture of hip hop and amongst other things is people trying to come in and make it their own. Like now you see where hip hop used to be about a struggle, right? And people struggling. And, you know, even if it's not necessarily poverty, but even back in the day when you have like too short rapping about certain things, it was about a struggle. And then you have now where it's just like big booty bitches and expensive cars and money. And they took this thing that was about a struggle and inverted it into all about consumerism. So it's, it's very similar in the way that you see hipsters and all these other fucking people come in and be like, I want to change that for profit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it gets above and beyond extreme to the point where they'll invest in a new business and they'll hire a marketing consultant to, brand the environment there like uh, like we've got metalhead burger joints punk rock pizzerias and i'm like oh damn this place is cool i want to meet the owner and i meet the owner and i just find out it's just like some lame guy from uh from ohio or michigan that's like in his all late 40s that knows nothing about the culture but he yeah. knows 
he pretends like he knows about it by hiring a marketing consultant, putting a bunch of like Dario Argento posters over the wall and comes into work with a brand new fucking Megadeth shirt that everyone's going to buy into his fucking little cosplay. It's crazy that you point that out because I, that happens so often, like all the time. And then they like, don't necessarily like a lot of these people, like, I'm just going to bring up the example of Bud Light, like them putting a marketing campaign out there for something that is mostly old conservative white dudes drink while they're in their backyard and stuff like that. And they promote it to try to promote to a younger audience and it massively fails because they think that they have their hands on the pulse of culture, which I think culture is toxic and vapid and, and disgusting in a lot of ways. But it's the fact that you can see this with inside of our culture is that they don't, a lot of advertisements and stuff like that. And, and certain companies do not understand who they're marketing to in many ways. It's not just that. There's many other examples, but that's something that's fucking apparent right now. Yeah, and the people they hire to think for them don't know anything but buzzwords, catchphrases, and yeah, costumes. it's crazy. Uh, I mean, that it's it's kind of, that's the whole theme of my book. It's about gentrification, but I the the crux of the whole thing is, uh, and I said this in an interview that's coming out next week. There's this this transgressive fiction fiction author in Paris. And I told, I told her, I said that the main premise of my story is, is that identity crisis is in my opinion, the ultimate evil in society that if you don't know yourself and you want to make yourself culturally relevant, then you're just going to kind of like cherry pick a bunch of stuff in society that you think you understand grafted onto yourself to make yourself socially relevant. And that's kind of what these demons are in my book. And it makes sense because you see this problem with people, especially in the youth and stuff like that, is that whatever's trending and and they want to get likes on posts on social media. I don't know what it was like to grow up with the internet in the way that we do today Um, and how, you know, they go into schools and they see what's like, uh, considered edgy when it's really not. Um, you know, there's the joke that to be edgy nowadays would be to get married, have kids, um, and do what people have been doing for thousands of years because it shifted so much in this other direction. Um, and that's, and you see this where people are trying to like adapt and do it because it's trendy and doing things to like, in my opinion, (laughs) mutilate their body amongst many other fucking things in the thing of cultural relevance to feel like they're part of something. What I think there is much more value in being an individual, uh, in this world. And I will always say that, that that's the most important thing is to find your individuality and not to, um, condition yourself to fit in a box so you can feel accepted by that specific box. Yeah, and, and then you're comfortable with yourself and it doesn't matter whether you're wearing a suit or you got fucking purple hair and which, you know, it, yeah. the idea of the weirdo at this point is, is scripted to hell. I grew up like a little punk rock kid in the nineties where when I was walking <laughs> around in the streets with a fucking Mohawk and a, and a leather jacket and like knee high boots I would get shit shot with paint with frozen paintballs, have thrash trash thrown at me. Old men would come out, get out of their car, and threaten to fucking shoot. really. That's yeah. fucking wild. Did you? Where did you, you grow up? Did you grow up in L.A.? I grew up in L.A. Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, I only left once to to live in San Diego, but uh, yeah, pretty much. I was the same. I had a mohawk when I was five five years old when I first got my first mohawk. They're like, I don't give a shit. Let him cut his hair. And then like I had like a fucking Liberty spikes, and I was like eight. 
Like I, I've always kind of, I just did whatever the fuck I wanted to, right? In the way, and I was growing up listening to Sex Pistols and the Ramones and Dead Kennedys, so I very much identify with at least that culture because my whole, th- I, I hated authority. I probably have some sort of authority defiance disorder because uh, I can't stand authority. Um, yeah, I'll let you kind of go a little more into your book if you want to read some stuff. I'm all for it. Um, it definitely like sounds to, interesting. Like I definitely want to get a copy. I'd like to show some contrast of my style. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to try to keep this brief, but I want to like read a few excerpts to show how it goes up and down. And I, mm-hmm. and I want, was going for the style that Robert Anton Wilson uses in his Schroeder's cat and an Illuminatus trilogies, because I like, I don't I, I, if, if you haven't read them, I would really, really recommend it. Uh, he, I have not goes, read it, but, Anton has told me, like, I'm aware of some of the the things that are inside of the books and some of the stuff they point at, um, which I feel like I probably really, really would enjoy. Uh, but shout out Anton, because he's the one that always is like, yeah, like, check this out, like, look into this, have, have a read of this type of stuff, especially when it comes to, like, fiction sci-fi. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like, it, cause I always was, I'm reading shit like, you know, David Icke, David Wilcock books. I have a whole like little, I have a whole shelf right here of books of just like a lot of it, like stuff about magic mushrooms. A lot of it is like stuff where Terrence I can, McKenna, you got some Terrence McKenna. In there. Yes, I do. I have some Terrence McKenna <laughs> out there. Um, so I always, I'm looking to uh, absorb knowledge when I'm reading. Right. But mm-hmm. there's but when I've read books, like say the shining and stuff like that, where I can actually really get in the story. I truly enjoy it. And I think I need to, even my girlfriend, I said this to like r- read some books that have a story to it. That's not all like doom and gloom. And there's evil people running the government type of books. Cause that's usually what I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's mine. I guess you could say there's, there's some stuff that, that would te- inadvertently teach you. Cause there's a lot of stuff in here where, you're going to be like, what the fuck's he talking about? I got to look that up. And and I'll even put in parentheses. Sometimes I'll, I'll put in parentheses. You've got a phone in your hand. You could look this up, but I like, like, oh, little, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> just to be an asshole. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with, with an excerpt. With yeah, go my ahead. First book. And this is me parodying what I think about um, real estate agents in my hometown, but they're not regular real estate agents. They're cool. New age real estate mm. agents. All right. Every chapter starts with a date. Monday, August 11th, 1.30 p.m. Lance and Meredith smiled face to face, rubbing noses and kissing as they sat on matching Zafus in Island Park, California real estate office. They waited patiently for the real estate agents who ran the place to come back from the kitchen with tea and eco-friendly, free trade, gluten-free, dairy-omitted, culturally diverse, refabricated component, farm-to-table, locally crafted, sustainably sourced, gender-neutral, vegan karma cookies. (laughs) (laughs) I like that shit. Both barely 23 years old, married right after college. They had just arrived fresh from Minnesota, ready to spread bold new ideas and their trust funds in Los Angeles. A nondescript basic pair, white, freckles, brown hair, moderately out of shape. They look like a million other people that flock to L.A. every single fucking year. So, 
Do you two take decocted almond activated charcoal milk in your tea, or would you prefer some freshly stone ground coconut maca butter? Deirdre Price said, as her and Guru Douche came back from the kitchen, vintage Art Deco tree, tea tray in hand. Now, uh, the names I use, they're really just mm-hmm. epithets, and I take that from Robert Anton Wilson and, and Thomas Pynchon, how if, if mm-hmm. there's like a character that I have no respect for, I'll give them a name like Pig Nose Diddler. Or, <laughs> or, or like, like, like it, it's, <laughs> you don't get a real name in my stories unless I respect you. <laughs> that's kind. Of, it's that's different. I can say that. That's kind of cool. Something different, and and it's cool to write in a different style, um, and not do the same shit that everybody else does. Uh, Anton said, "Pedri Pedersitata." I don't fucking. Who's that? Oh, Padre Pederastia. <laughs> that, that's, that's from the that's from Robert Anton Wilson. I, I'm pretty sure. I haven't read him in a minute. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure that is. He does uh, Linda, Linda Lovelace. Uh, there's Linda so many Lovelace. funny names in his stories. Yeah, I know Anton. I know he's like Jesus Christ, Tom. You need to learn how to read. I know. I don't like <laughs> names. Uh, that's my fucking biggest weakness. Um, we definitely should have, it's in the Illuminatus trilogy. Um, yep. That's raw. That's, uh, I got to get into this stuff because Anton's always showed this out. Um, I'll let you kind of keep going. I, I just want to finish up. I don't want to do this whole chapter cause I yeah. want to contrast from other ones and I just want to get to the medius part. Uh, before either of them can answer Cesar Chavez, Rosa Parks, Che Gandhi cat came purring between Lance and Meredith. Oh, how cute, Meredith said, petting the fluffy gray chartreuse cat. Is it a she or a he, Lance began, but immediately stopped himself, turning red and starting to lightly perspire as he realized his mistake. Caesar Chavez, Rosa Parks' Che Gandhi cat, actually identifies as gender fluid, Guru Douche answered. Tone and contrived <laughs> smile set to indicate with autopilot poise and precision a stance of calm patience and understanding while simultaneously multitasking his performance as the guiding mystic in matters of social progress. Now, what am I trying to say here? I'm not trying to make fun of, like, anyone that says that they come from some diverse sexuality or anyone that's vegan or this, I'm making fun of these rich yuppies that kind of latch onto all that and use it as a badge. Oh, I represent these people. I represent these people and they want to use it to make themselves socially relevant. And I'm like, a hundred percent. And, and then, you represent these people. You haven't lived their life. No. And that's a hundred percent, right? Like in, I guess Anton would consider me as an ally to an extent, but I'm not even that, that I, I just, I don't agree with a lot of stuff that certain communities and the ideologies that they hold. And that's just my opinion kind of thing. But like, I'm not going to go out of my way to be socially relevant by grasping on to these ideologies or things that I may not agree with. Even like I got nothing. And we always say it's got nothing against anybody at all. I don't, I believe in fundamental freedom and freedom to do what you want. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. It is hard, Anton, (laughs) Uh, but uh, that I don't need to, I've never needed to do anything to stay relevant and to want to feel like I'm part of something that I don't truly believe in. And there's a lot of people that do this. And, and, and honestly, a big thing is like, I'm going to throw my fucking, uh, I'm going to put a Ukrainian flag in my fucking name. 
even though they have no idea anything about Ukraine, couldn't point out on a map, don't know how corrupt it is or any of that stuff. So I believe that is kind of part of what you're pointing at, these people that hold on to something and, and to do things and say things and come off in a way that they think other people will see as relevant. Yeah, and, and, and it's about context and intent. I mean, advocate, yes, help people out if you believe in them and you see them suffering. But if you're just some rich asshole that doesn't want people in society to point at you and say, look, there's another Karen. Look, there's another rich asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, this is just a way for them to, like, graft themselves with other people's suffering and use it as a shield to avoid scrutiny as but just an average everyday rich douche. I'm going to say it. That, yeah. that's- no, hundred percent. And that's, and that's how I view it too. Right. Like I've always, I've always been against the grain. You could say, I say things that people might not necessarily agree with, um, or they might find offensive or whatever. And the thing is, mm-hmm. I've never, my whole thing is to never care about what people think, right? Like, uh, one is not exactly um, David Icke's quote, uh, because I always joke that he's like my hero, even though I don't believe everything he fucking says, but I like the dude. And, uh, you know, the biggest prison that we can live in is fear of what other people think. And I've never lived in that prison, ever. Well, you'll never please everybody. I've learned that the hard way. I wrote like a big manifesto saying fuck all the gentrification a few weeks ago. And then I had this like rich girl from Chicago tell me off and tell me, oh, how can you say you don't want rich people to be involved with the efforts to fight gentrification? I'm like, I'm like, because they're causing it. They're causing it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> because rich people always see themselves as above everybody else. Right. And, 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 think that they uh like if you okay look at somebody like klaus schwab okay or bill gates or these people that think they have the right to to influence and tell humanity what they should and should not do should and should not think uh is disgusting to me and those people have no right to talk to the common people that struggle and live. And while these people have never struggled in their lives, were raised within money and have no idea what it's like to have to actually live in poverty or even in the middle class, not, not even close to the middle mm-hmm. class. These people are raised in, in enormous amounts of wealth like the Royal family. Like you see in Britain now, all that shit, people are sick of this stuff. They want it done. The monarchy should not exist. No one's better than someone else because of their blood. Um, and and I see this throughout all society. And it's it's cool to hear a fictional author, but yet there's drip-fed information of truth with inside your books. It sounds uh, like, at least, you know. It, it, it runs the gauntlet. I mean, uh, I want to do a few more excerpts to just kind of, like, make my point. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, uh, man. A little preamble. There's an area in L.A. called the um, L.A. Arts District, and it's on the edge of Skid Row, and all these freaking the whole point of creating this community is so all these like so-called rich artists artists that live there can can pretend like oh we're living on the main streets uh even though we're in this little bubble community that is getting extra police patrols because of all the investment capital into it Mm -hmm. um i call them nimby bohemians like uh like like somebody that i mean Essentially, there's no difference to me between some beatnik in the 60s that comes from a rich family slumming it in Greenwich Village and some asshole gentry in modern-day Los Angeles that thinks if they dress 
like they're they get their clothes from a thrift store and they drink a cheap ass beer that they're no one's gonna know they're not a low income local. But I wanna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just show one of my chapters to just emphasize my point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, get into it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> now this whole scene breaks i didn't i don't want to do the whole thing there's a character in my book her name is jasmine filth creature and she's <laughs> so you obviously don't respect her <laughs> oh, no, this, this is a girl that i actually respect but she's actually in between the whole idea um, she calls herself filth creature because she's got a bunch of tattoos of like cockroaches and possums and centipedes and maggots and flies all over her body it's like her that's like kind of like her her punk rock like she's like this lesbian assassin and she is part of this organization that lives underground in la that are kind of like the rebels in the they live movie and i call oh, that's cool Others. i love that film or fair films actually uh, but anyway, she's she, this whole day. She's go. She's killing these these hipsters that are disguised as reptilians, and she's fooling them all by telling them, "Hey, I'm a publisher. I am a talent scout." Blah blah blah. Mm. And and she meets them, and she murders them, and and this scene, she's in the LA Arts District. Okay, the exterminations lasted all day and well into the end of the night. Hey there, Bryce, right? Jasmine put her hand on the little bearded rat's shoulder as she got to his table at the pretentious eatery cafe shop in L.A.'s Arts District. A little segue into that before we begin. The L.A. Arts District is essentially the following. A quasi-arcology for rich pricks who think that they're slumming it just because their little little safe house living bubble community is in proximity to the mean streets of Boyle Heights and Skid Row, a top priority for local police patrols because God forbid that some important resident of this little urban amusement park gets a splinter in their finger or suffers the PTSD-inducing ordeal of having to come face-to-face with a homeless person and not receive immediate attention for their distress. A bunch of building murals that supposedly inspire the creativity within. Translation, a place for talentless yet well-resourced hacks to take selfies in proximity to art that begets art. So they can post on their glamorous Instagram page where they incessantly babble about their latest creative endeavors that will never exist outside the tried and proved hashtags that have already been overutilized by everyone on earth to milk the worldwide cybercock for self-validation. Grocery stores that belay the need for arts district residents to poke their little pinky toe out into the real world. This they accomplish by stocking a gourmet variety of every chocolate, wine, cheese, liquor, deli meat, produce, and vegan condiment imaginable. Because, let's face it, if arts district residents had to venture out into a legit, socially organic community and visit a real market where average working class people usually shop, they might find themselves facing the stark reality that not every consumer-based business on earth is eager to stick its tongue right up their rectum. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's That's a big funny. list. There's like eight yeah. of them where I, I just basically insinuate that that this area is where it's like a little, and there's so many pockets of these in LA where it's like two blocks here and there. Um, middle of a rough neighborhood, but all of a sudden it gets really nice just where the like hipsters eat, shop and live. Well, I've heard that too, right? Is that like, you have like Skid Row and like some of these places where, or there's like mass amount of like homeless people 
Mm-hmm. And then you go like a couple blocks, not even like one block over, and there's rich cats eating fucking filet young. You know what I mean? Like eating some like fucking crazy steak, um, expensive food, and the the dichotomy between like the poor and the rich is fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this whole separation of it. They're, it's they're, pretty cool. I like your book though. It sounds dope. It's uh. I don't want to inundate you with excerpts. I, I mean, I have a bunch that I'd like to read. It's up to you, whether you, you want do to. another one. Yeah. Do another one. Let's do it. Yeah. Like, you know, gonna, it, oh. it's my intrigue. So the people like, Hey, like we'll get you to shout out your stuff um, at the end of this. And, and if people want to pick it up, I, you know, advocate to like, especially support, um, you know, smaller businesses, authors, you know what I mean? Like that. I really do think that's something that's important is, is supporting independence, um, of people, authors, music, whatever it might be. Uh, I do think it, that needs to happen more in our culture than supporting corporations. Cause that's going to lead to our fucking downfall. <laughs> yeah. And all anyone cares about these days is what somebody told them to watch off of Netflix yep. or, uh, the latest piece of shit by Disney, which is not, is going to either no, i'm not gonna get into it i oh, like yeah, it. no I, wa- I watched the new peter pan and wendy movie on disney it was fucking horrible i like couldn't even watch it i was like i used to like that shit when i was a kid and i tried watching it and i was like oh my god it's so boring and dumb and it's fucking awful and everything is bad in disney now nothing is relevant they just take recycled ideas much as hollywood always has done i recycle think the same stuff <laughs> Even when it is relevant, I feel insulted. And I get into this in my stories, too, where there's like a a jam session where all these reptilians are in this like boardroom meeting. And they're like, how are we going to get these people that think the average TV show is crap to listen to us? And And then one of them's like, well, we'll just, you know, diddle the algorithm, see what they like, look at their grievances, and we'll plug that into something. So, I mean... Like like uh, Andor, for instance, if you watch that show, it's all about rebellion and being fed up with overrule. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I like this. I love that part where Luthen does his little, where Skarsgård does his little speech. But I'm, wait a minute, is this them just cataloging my grievance and misery and selling it back to me? Because a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm a. I always joke on the show. I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. If I could live in that reality and and fight the Empire, I fucking would. Uh, but but it is it is this thing where they like sell you back and and show you these images and almost like poking fun or making fun of the fact that we live in a society where there should be uprise and people should be more standing up for their fundamental freedoms, but they would rather be sheltered in their safe spaces and coddled um and and if somebody says something that they don't like then they get they want to like fucking jump off a roof or go rah-rah towards a government building and all sorts of things that happen in this society right because of things like that uh where people need to be affirmed in their belief which is utter nonsense in my opinion (laughs) in my opinion (laughs) True. I have a friend that he calls it indicating my, my good friend who actually did one of my covers. Um, that's Jasmine filth creature right there. My friend Cyrus. Oh, Luke, that's sick. That's cool. Like that. And uh, he says people need what they call indicators. He's like, they need um, visual cues to tell them, Hey, this is what you believe. This is what you hate. This is what you love. And when, and when they, when that's in play, it's kind of suspect when someone reacts to it. Cause if you hate something, if you're passionate against or for something, you shouldn't need a logo, a cue, a freaking yeah. group. Like, I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe in, whether there are a million people on my side or, or I just got myself. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. During uh, a lot of the stuff that's happened over last three years, I chose to spoke out and didn't really think of how many people I would reach. And I uh, reached like thousands upon thousands of people. My message and my, my stuff that I've said over the internet, which is wild to speak out against the government and stuff like that has been shared like tens and thousands of times. Never thought that would happen. But I, at the time I was on a lone hill with people Mm. yelling at me, call me anti-vax amongst many other names. Um, And uh, I chose to stand my ground. And now more and more people every day are waking up to the truth. So, Yep. The bandwagon mentality. I've got the last 90 days, the last 18 months to 90 days, everyone wants to hate gentrification, even though 10 years ago, they're like, Nathan, why do you hate progress? Why do you want the neighborhood to come up? And then ten, five years later, they're like, shit, I can't pay my rent. You were right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, read something else. Uh, yeah, let's get into this. I, I want to read, the because you said something about how you heard that from one block to the next, it could be fucked up. And yeah, this yeah. is the theme that really emphasizes this. Uh, Sunday, August 10th, 2.34 p.m., Miguel parked in a rooftop complex off of Maple and 6th in downtown. That's right near like where Skid Row starts. Mm-hmm. Getting out of the car, he checked his jacket for keys, wallet, and phone. Everything all there and ready, he went to a set of doors across the lot and walked through to a stairwell leading down to street level on Maple. Coming out of the street, Miguel lit up a, f- a cheap French cigarette. He recently started ordering these through the mail after local tobacco shops stopped carrying Euro tobacco due to a change in export laws. It was one of those rare cold days in L.A., a nice gray overcast lowering the temperature more than usual. This gave him the opportunity to pop on his new biker-cut canvas jacket. I'm going to skip the preamble and get right to my point. Taking a deep breath, he took a look around. The streets were crowded with people walking around the fringe area of downtown L.A. Between the downtrodden, steadily being colonized Skid Row and the already done and gentrified Pershing Square bound side. Los Angeles Street seemed to divide the two. The contrast was night and day, working class on one side for the most part and walking appetites on the other. Just by simply crossing the street, your relative income bracket could be decimated or upgraded. Skid Row bound side would get you botanica herbs, a pair of suede shoes, a strawberry liquado, a stereo, and some pupusas for less than 80 bucks. The Pershing Square bound side would probably run you $30 just for parking and a cup of some amateur roaster's pretentious coffee. And, and then I, I just- like it. You, you have a, uh, a, a cool style of writing. Um, I definitely I think that you shouldn't stop. Um, you know, keep this going, keep this alive. Like, you know, and I do think independent writers like yourself should, you need more merit, I guess, in my opinion of stuff like, cause like you see the basic, like same old shit pumped out to people. Um, and they read the same garbage that has been already done in a way, you know what I mean? Especially like any book, like even if you got like the hunger games is like another book and like, they're all kind of the same story retold in a different version. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I think it's good to have different writing styles and a different way to intrigue and bring in the, the reader. And, uh, I, I do like the, the, from what I've heard, do like the way you write and stuff like that. And I I would uh, be interested in, in picking up one of your books, um, just because I, I do think I, sh- as a, 
a fan of all things weird and strange and conspiracies and all that stuff. I need to kind of dip my toe more, I think, into like sci-fi fiction. You know what I mean? Science fiction, I guess exactly. That's really what it is. But, uh, you know, and I never really have other than some stuff when I was younger. And as soon as I started kind of getting into this idea of, of wanting to learn about how this world is set up, how the government plays a role in orchestrating horrible things and disasters in this world that I started wanting to read more into that and gain more and more knowledge. So I had a one up on kind of people about how I can speak upon these things, but I sometimes just need to take a break from all that stuff and read like just a fun, fucked up, crazy story, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it's cool to have independent authors like you that are able to like kind of give this, all your influences from when you grew up and listening to punk music and, and movies like they live and, and stuff like reptilians. And, and I think it's cool to be honest. I think it's fucking cool. You did this. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I, I, that it's true what you said. You get a lot of freedom when you're an independent writer. I, I have a, a friend who's studying to be a, he's getting his master's to become an English professor. And I told him, well, you know, I, I didn't get to go to college. Uh, the grammar's fucked up. The style is, is kind of impromptu. It changes from book to book, chapter to chapter. And he's like, you know what? That makes it charming. It makes it unique. He's like, how do you think William Burroughs started? He, no one wanted him. He had to go to France and then build his name there. And, and when he started here, he was just a freaking heroin junkie and he was a homosexual. And so no one wanted to work with him because back then that was yeah. a stigma. But now he's taught in all these Canaan English classes. And which is ironic because some of the bookstores I leave my books at, the book owner, store owners are like, yeah, a professor came by. He bought your book. He wants to see about getting into Korea writing class. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, that's almost- cool, dude like the demons in my book, like they come from that academic gentry society and they're like, wait a minute, all this old, we can't keep teaching Dickens. We can't keep teaching, teaching the same shit. We yeah. need something fresh that says something, you know, but even though it breaks the rules of everything we teach. Well, it's cool. And I, you know, I, I want to do you the solid cause you seem like a good dude to kind of get your stuff out there. Um, like this will eventually go on Patreon, but I'm going to leave it up for a couple of weeks so people can tune in, um, take a listen to this interesting conversation that we've had. Um, you can send me like a synopsis of, of what you kind of want me to put in the description. So then people can really know where to go and I'll, I'll get like links and stuff like that. Um, cause not, and not everyone writes the same, right? If you like, and there's different, like, I don't think, I don't know. Sorry, I got a phone call out of nowhere. That's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Um, I don't like. I don't necessarily know if I could, if David Ike ever took like a writing class, but the way he writes is far different from like other writers that I've like read. You know what I mean? Like even like other conspiracy written kind of style books. It, it, sometimes the way he writes is like it can be confusing to a lot of people because of the amount of information uh, that he puts in there, which I haven't found yet. But he still sells like it's probably million, a couple thousand, but definitely like by now millions of books. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that he ever came from a place of like a, a writer. He just kind of he was a football announcer. So there is, I believe there should be more and more room for independent artists, writers, all that stuff, because people are shying away from, from the mainstream media. It's happening all the time, right? Like they don't want to be part of that. They don't want to watch it. Um, you know, so I do think it's, 
you know, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad that I had you on. Um, and that, yeah, I could kind of give you the floor to, to promote, um, a unique book and a unique look at gentrification. I think it's, it is interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I went that route. I, I don't know how it happened. Originally it was just going to be a one big Bukowski style rant. And then it just yeah. micro gradually when I was not sleeping and I, and I was working three jobs, drinking a ton of coffee, studying pre-law, just this whole reptilian culture sucking demon theme just kind of edged its way in there. You, by the fourth book, I, 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 I do a whole mythology work from ancient Rome to modern Los Angeles, like like I talk about their their where they come from, and by the sixth book, I'm talking about how these people could regain their sense of humanity by being decent human beings. That's all. We, that's what psychedelics taught me. Uh, how to, how to be a better human being and what I can actively do to become a better human being, and uh, it's crazy because the the way you speak about this stuff and the way that it sounds like you write would be, it seems like very similar of how I would probably write a book. Um, it sounds strange, but like when I was younger, like 17, I was like writing, like I used to always have written wrote music. Like I've always wrote music. I've always produced music. Even if 10 people listen, I will still kind of do it. And I've always wanted to either do a horror movie based on reptilians and make it extremely like scary and like really like push the limits of fear and what they're capable of and what they're described as in either folklore <laughs> or the real world. But I've always wanted to write uh, since I was a kid, never have. Cause I got more into doing music and life took me a different direction. Uh, and now with this podcast and stuff like that, that kind of just came out of nowhere. And, uh, it does remind me very much. I would write probably the same way of kind of like making it my own thing. And if people want to read it and, and, invest into into me for writing that way um i think it it merits even more it's more relevant and i think that's that's what we need more of in this society you know what i mean mm. i mean i i definitely blend society and sci-fi a lot I, I don't know if you'll find it scary but you'll probably find it comical it's uh yeah i've got these reptilians in some really unique situation there's one where it's it's uh, what I call the hobosexual sem seminar. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you know that term, ho hobosexual. It means somebody that dates someone just so they could have a place to live rent-free. Yeah, I didn't know that until uh, <laughs> Anton told me over an episode of the podcast. <laughs> well, there's, there's this scene where, where these reptilians that are disguised as humans, they're having a seminar for, for women that grew up from privilege and want to get away from that whole, like, clubbing lifestyle and they want to find sugar daddies that have low self-esteem so they tell them uh, they, they're teaching them how to pretend to be gamers nerds yeah. uh punk rockers they're like this wear this buy this listen to this and you'll find some guy who plays D D who has a lot of money and he'll and he'll be and he'll be your sugar daddy <laughs> i don't know where i came up with this shit to be honest. yeah so if it's like kind of wild that you were able to like pluck this stuff out of the you know, maybe the social subconscious of what like people necessarily think. And then you put it kind of in your own words. Cause yeah, I, the way I would write would be probably all over the place. So I can kind of see like if, if you're kind of just went out of a whim, started writing and then it kind of took you somewhere. It mm -hmm. seems like uh, where you had a structure to kind of build upon the first story. And that's where it always comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. Without fucking <laughs> without Harry Potter, you need the first book. Right. Like as a joke, cause I just got that game. I uh, can't help that. It's fucking fun, but like how you, you, you need a staple in to get into that world. And then you can kind of like 
go from there, right? So it's good to have a structure of where a story really starts. And I think yours sounds extremely interesting. And uh, yeah, I deplore all the host heads out there to to go check it out. Um, give your shout outs and all that stuff. And we'll kind of bring it to a close there. Who knows? Maybe we'll have you back on uh, with Anton because he's he's read your books and stuff like that. So it would be kind of interesting to hear um, his take on stuff, you know? So like, we'll have to definitely get into that. And, uh, it's, I didn't, I had no idea when I was talking to you, I had no fucking clue that Anton read your books. And I feel like he must've mentioned, like, I knew he mentioned, uh, Robert Anton Wilson and some of these other like sci-fi kind of writers that I maybe have never read, but heard of their names and stuff like that. And, uh, it's kind of interesting that he popped it in the chat and was like, what? Like, I didn't know you guys were doing this. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't know you were even reading his book and stuff like that. So, Oh yeah. We've been talking for a minute back and forth. Yeah. He's like three years now, I think <laughs> something like that, which is kind of crazy, like wild. How, uh, how this kind of came full circle in a, in a weird way. Um, but yeah, shout out your stuff. Um, and yeah, like if the, the fans can, uh, you know, maybe support you even just like leave a review, maybe read, read some stuff online or whatever they can do, but like any way to support uh, independent writers and artists and all that stuff, I'm very much behind. And I appreciate it. And like I said before, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to promote, but I'm also here because I like having conversations about stuff that I'm into because I rarely get an opportunity. Most, even like my best friends and family, after five minutes, it goes over their head and I'm putting them to sleep. So it's like, I don't get an opportunity. Trust me, I, uh, I, everywhere I go to all my family and friends, I talk about how uh, we're going down a spiral downfall uh, with the governments trying to take hold of the world and turn it into an authoritarian state like China. And I'm sure it gets repetitive. <laughs> and like, I know, okay, I know it's going to get bad. So <laughs> it's, I, I understand a feeling like um, almost like a black sheep a lot of times. Cause I, wrote up and then felt that way my entire life. So. Yep. I know the feeling. Yeah. Shout out where you can find your stuff and like shout out whatever you need to, where people can find your book. Um, I want them to know. And then whatever links you want me to put in the description, you guys will be able to click that stuff as usual. Um, but yeah, shout out. to find it is at uh, my assaulted plastic uh, author instagram page if you go to my link tree there you see not just uh, a link to each one of my books you'll see my interviews you'll see some of the presentations i've done in public um i had a podcast up there for a minute but i got (laughs) my podcast got shut down because it got too raw i was basically uh i was impolite in so many ways uh but that yeah, can happen. I'm surprised we're still around considering how impolite you could say I've been about a lot of things. Yeah, um, yeah definitely uh, check out your Instagram. So it's Salted Plastic LA, right? Is that right? Or is it just Salted yeah, Plastic? Um, it's, it's Salted Plastic. I think um, you'll find it anyway. Uh, yeah, th- there's like three of them. But there's a main one. It's Salted Plastic Author. And in uh, the link tree right there in my bio is everything. Yeah, yeah, we'll post that on the the description of this episode. Uh, Yeah, like if there's anything you want to add to this, if not, we'll bring this to a close. Um, The thing I always end all of my presentations, all of the like interviews I'm with is, hey, if you read my shit and something offends you and you and and always hit me up and I'm happy to have a conversation because I find that some people don't get the context. Sometimes 
like that that scene where I'm talking about the fucking uh, real estate agents. One time somebody's like, are you making fun of gender fluid people? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm making fun of rich yuppies that use that to graft onto themselves to make themselves socially. 100%. Rich. And yeah. you're, you're on the right show because uh, our whole motto is uh, not for the easily offended or the faint of heart, which mm. we probably it, we probably offend people every day with this show. So don't worry, because the fans, the host heads, as we call them, um, they're not easily offended, nor should they be, because we don't live in a world where you need to be bubble wrapped and opinions hurt people nowadays. For some reason, it's very strange uh, that if if it if they hear a whisper outside of their echo chamber, that they scream and don't know how to cope with reality. And you see it every day now. Um, so uh, you were in the right place for, for shouting this stuff out, to be honest, because our whole thing is we don't, I, we've got, we got a lot of good reviews and I just posted like a cool thing for people to shout out, rate and review us is the best way to support us. But I put a bunch of like our five-star review stuff and, uh, we've had negative reviews. People have called me an ableist. People have, have called, uh, made like got mad because we made fun of the Confederate flag, all sorts of stuff. And it's, it, there's all the, there's people are out there. doesn't matter what you, if you're a writer, a podcaster, a musician, there's always going to be someone that might not like what you say or think. And that's the world we live in. So people get used to it. So I'm crying about it. Right. Well, I, I blame that on what I call the Trinity of ignorance, which is false equivalency, mm-hmm. not understanding context and cognitive dissonance. Yes. You know, people understand those three things. They'll learn that jumping the gun and wrapping their own personal associations around something before asking questions would, is what the problem is. 100% cognitive dissonance is a real thing. And it's quite clear after all the things that have happened in this three years, that it definitely exists with a lot of people that cannot accept the truth. So we'll end it on that note. Uh, yeah, everyone go check out, uh, your shit, like go follow you on Instagram would be the best bet. Um, and stuff like that to find everything they need. Uh, but yeah, if you got anything to add, I'll say stay strange. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty cool to have you on and talk about something a little different. The last thing I had to say is just, thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you putting me here. And, uh, and it seemed like I didn't have to, you know, split hairs with you to get you to understand anything I'm saying. It just, you are probably one of like three people I've met that just gets it immediately. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's kind of cool to hear that because I've always been this way where I, I kind of analyze things from the outside and I, and I realize how fabricated everything is in our world. You know what I mean? How everything is kind of structured in a way to be sold to somebody. And I've always, I've known this since a young age. So always talking to people like you when I've done the podcasting where I can, Oh, I talked to a bunch of other podcasters that may think around the same realm of thought, but it's cool to actually have a conversation with a writer, someone that's outside of the world that I'm in when it comes to podcasting and still have a great understanding that we see eye to eye a lot of the stuff that you're writing and I, I get where you're coming from when it comes to your style. Thank you. Thank you. And I, yeah, I, I go on and on, but, uh, yeah, you know, got things to do. And that's the biggest problem when somebody gets close to me, I won't shut up. Oh no, I get it. <laughs> I get it, dude. I can't stop talking either. That's our whole thing. We'll say we're going to do an hour episode and it'll be like two and a half hours. So, uh, yeah, as you can hear, my dog is freaking out. He's like, it's time to go. Uh, so we'll, yeah, yeah, I know he definitely does. Um, so this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll post all the links in the description, everybody. 
And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's good talking to you, dude. I appreciate this. And, you know, it's cool having you on something different. All right. Well, I'll let you go and, and, and just hit me up in the future here and there. Would you even want to want to chat? And I'll probably send you uh, what my girlfriend says, a book, a book test message. You know, she yeah. said, stop texting because each text is like five paragraphs. I, I am the same way. So I uh, don't worry about that. Yeah, pretty. So a good conversation. Um, you know, I hope people, uh, you know, go at least look at some of your stuff and, and, you know, if they're intrigued enough, you buy a book kind of thing, right? Support independent writers and authors and, you know, all this and musicians and anything that is uh, not corporate in my opinion. <laughs> oh no. Well, well, one caveat to that, and this is something I get a lot. They're going to, they're going to be like, uh, as far as the whole corporate thing goes, they're going to say, well, why do you publish with Amazon? And, and I'll answer that before I go. I'm yeah. poor. I am fucking yeah. poor. That's why. <laughs> no, I know other artists and stuff like that do that. Uh, Paranoid American, um, he does the same thing where he has to put it on Amazon because it's, it's a good way to reach people. Like mm-hmm. as much as it's, I nobody really likes Amazon. It sucks, but like, but it's a convenient commodity that people are now using to get things out there. So I'm, I don't not. Like I would not use it to, uh, you know, get books or whatever. The means I ordered my David Icke books off of fucking Amazon, which is fucking wild. Uh, so yeah, awesome. Uh, stay strange, everybody out there. And then when this is eventually on Patreon, uh, thank you for all the subscribers on Patreon. But we're gonna get out your book out there for a while, and then this will be strictly a Patreon thing. So thank you to all the supporters out there. So stay strange.